Heavenly Father, grant that your word might be spoken here with boldness, heard with attentiveness, and obeyed with readiness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. The word hope is an interesting word. Um, it's interesting because it's a complex word, and, and uh, often the way it is used in Scripture is not necessarily the way we use it. There are similarities, there are places where it overlaps, uh, but there are also differences. Um, Greek philosophers predating the writing of the New Testament spoke of hope as, as an essential part of human existence. It's just part of what it means to be human, uh, together with memory. So the way they thought of it was, you know, you live in the present moment, um, but the present is kind of hard to get a grasp on, you know. Um, if, for instance, if I ask you what is the present moment, you're probably thinking actually of what happened like two seconds ago, Right? So remember that time when I said, what is the present moment? That present moment didn't last very long. In fact, by the time I finished the sentence, it was different from when the time I, I began the sentence, right? The present is something, it's slippery. You, you can't grab onto it. Um, what you can grab onto are memories. That's looking back at the past. Uh, memory and hope. That's expectation about the future. And this, the Greek philosopher said, is the way a human being exists. Um, in that, that place which is uh, supported by these two pillars of memory and of hope. So hope, for them, was that capacity to look into the future um, and, and imagine what might be. Um, now, for the Greeks, you could have good hope or bad hope. Um, that's, that's, again, a strange way to think of it. But uh, for them, you, know, you, could, uh, you could hope that you were going to win the lottery, um, which is not a good hope. You know, that's, that's not something you can really well expect within reason to happen. I'm sorry if I'm breaking anyone's heart there. Um, that's, that's not a good hope. Or you could have a good hope, like um, tomorrow I'll wake up and go to work. Um, you know, that's something that's likely to happen, and it's something you have some say in. Um, so that's, that's how the Greeks thought about hope. Um, the, the scriptures think about hope a little bit differently, and we'll talk about how they, they think about hope. But I think that basic image of, of us as human beings um, having those two capacities to look back at the past through our memory and to look forward into the future through hope, through expectation, um, that's something that the scriptures do kind of affirm, that we need both to look back in remembrance to what God has done, but also to look forward into the future um, at what God will do. And it's for that reason that the scriptures talk an awful lot about hope, and during this season of Advent, we spend time reflecting on precisely that concept of hope, that, that truth of what it means to have hope for the future. The fact is, in our present moment, hope is very difficult to come by. Um, most of us, I think, if we'll, if we'll really take stock of what we think about the future, what we expect to happen, um, I think probably most of us have a pretty bleak view of it. Um, maybe not the near future, okay? So, you know, you might be looking forward to an event or to a holiday, you know, Christmas is around the corner. Maybe that's not a good hope for you, I don't know. But, um, but you might be looking forward to that. You might be looking forward to, to a promotion or to, to some kind of future event, something you're looking forward to. But it's probably something that's going to happen in the next few days, next few weeks, next few months, maybe even the next few years. And what our, what our tendency is, is to look forward to that next worldly thing, that's going to bring us some sense of joy or some sense of satisfaction. Um, and then once it's done, to latch on to the next thing, right? So, so we hope in whatever the next thing is, but then that's going to be over soon. Um, if it even comes to materialize, if our hopes even are what we um, expect. Um, if it comes to materialize, then we have that experience, we have that event, 
Whether it lived up to our expectations or not, pretty soon it passes into the memory. And we're on to the next hope, the next thing. And in that sense, the way we treat hope is, is kind of like uh, we're swimming on a shipwreck from one wooden plank to the next. Um, as soon as one uh, shard of wood fails us, we move on to the next and to the next, just trying to keep our heads above water. It's exhausting. That's a tiring way to live. Latching on to earthly expectations and earthly hopes. Because sooner or later, our hope in the world runs out. Uh, sooner or later, we, we can't think of anything more to look forward to. Uh, sooner or later, we, we become disenchanted of all of those things that we hoped in in the past. Eventually, if they fail us often enough, we realize how unreasonable, how insane it is to return to that hope again and again. For some of us, that might be hard to imagine. I mean, there, there are such optimists in our midst. Um, that, uh, that it might be really hard for you to imagine uh, being in that situation where you lose all hope. Um, maybe not so hard for others of us. I've, I've never been accused of being an optimist so far as I know. But, um, but I think some of us are probably there right now. It's entirely possible that you've come here this morning and, and uh, whether it's something you've spoken of or something you haven't spoken of, something you've harbored in your heart um, quietly, uh, there's a good chance that most of us here have been challenged in our idea of hope and found ourselves in a place of discouragement. If our hope rests only on good things in this world, then sooner or later it will run out. And that's what we call discouragement. And in its terminal stages, we call it despair. I can't prove it, and I'm not sure for that matter how anyone would prove it, but I'm convinced that the quintessential vice of our modern world, the, the most characteristic, tragic flaw of the world that we live in, is not excess, not greed or envy, not lust or wrath, not even pride. Obviously, we all sin in all these ways, so I'm not saying we're innocent of any of that uh, uh, myriad ways of, of, of sinning. But I don't think those vices are the ones that are quite as defining, as damning, or as dangerous, to, as dangerous to us as this sin of despair. We are excessively greedy and lustful, but eventually our excess gives way to addictions. Addictions enslave us. And those things we enjoyed once upon a time, they turn on us, they enslave us, and they eat away at us, leading us to that place of discouragement or despair. Yes, we are wrathful and divisive and prejudiced and envious. But the fact is, if we carry on that way long enough, sooner or later we will break down every good relationship in our life. And we'll look around and realize how horribly alone we are. And we'll fall into that place of discouragement and despair. Yes, we're proud, we're arrogant, we're overconfident in ourselves. But sooner or later, failing again and again to live up even to our own expectations... Our certainty in our own success will give way to utter anxiety about the future. And that will lead us to discouragement or despair. So what then? Where do we turn to when we're addicted, alone, anxious? When we're discouraged? When we're tempted by that terminal illness of desperation? In our epistle reading today, Paul says simply this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that, by the, so that 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We've got a a hope on both ends there. We've got a hope sandwich. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. He calls God the God of hope, and he prays that together with a joyful and peaceful faith, the church would abound in hope. Think about what that word means for a moment. He doesn't just pray that the church will have hope, that the church will be hopeful, but that they will abound in hope. What does abundant mean? Overflowing. More than you can use. So much that that, uh, we can't handle it all. So more than we can use up overflowing with hope so that uh, God will make us so full of hope that the people around us can't help getting hope on them when they're interacting with us. That we leave a trail of hope wherever we go. That's the kind of abundance of hope that Paul is talking about. May the God of hope fill you such that you abound in hope. And how does he expect God to dispense this great blessing of abundant hope. How can we pursue it? What, what are the means by which we attain that? Is that just a pipe dream? Is it an empty word? May God bless you in this way. Or, or is there something to it? Is there a substance to it? We go on to read. Uh, actually, we go back to read earlier in the passage. Paul says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Through endurance, patience, willingness to wait on the Lord and on his timing, certainly a theme which is uh, present to us throughout Advent. But what I want to look at today is this, through the encouragement of scriptures, that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Our collect of the day um, is, is one of my favorites. And, and by the way, collect, if, if I haven't told you before, it's the noun pronunciation of the verb collect, Right? Um, So it collects a lot of ideas together, just like you have refuse as the verb and refuse as the noun. Um, Collect is the noun and collect is the noun and collect is the verb. Right. So so our our collect for the day um, says this. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn and inwardly digest them. That by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. That, that should ring a bell for you, that phrase right there. That by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. This collect was written by Thomas Cranmer for the very first English prayer book in 1549. And this prayer is really Cranmer's own paraphrase of that verse we just read. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, through patience, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, the comfort of God's holy word, we might have hope. So Paul's answer to despair, to discouragement, is this. Look to the scriptures. And I think we find a little more help along the way in our collect for the day. So what I want to do with the rest of our time today is to look briefly at that collect. And in fact, I think this topic of hope in the scriptures is so important. We'll be returning to this next week. Um, Today, we'll look at why the scriptures are the means of our hope. 
And next week, we'll look at how we can be better nourished by the hope that the scriptures give. What I don't want to do is stand here before you today and say um, the scriptures are what God has given us to nourish us in hope um, and not give you a practical way to do that. How you actually carry that out day to day. So that's what we'll be looking at next week, particularly at uh, Cranmer's model of, of hearing, reading, marking, learning, and inwardly digesting, which we'll talk about next week. But this week, I want to just reflect on some of the, the rich truth that we find in this collect related to God and the scriptures and to hope. The collect opens by addressing God. And we address him in this collect as blessed Lord who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. So that's, that's the God we're praying to. We're praying to this blessed Lord who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. The first thing we see in that is that God caused the scriptures to be written. God caused the scriptures to be written. Even though there are countless human causes in scripture, um, countless human circumstances that come up in scripture, none of them override or even damage the single unified divine intention uh, that's present in Scripture. There are lots of human authors. There's one divine author. We hear a lot of human words, but only one divine word through all of them. And for that reason, because the Scriptures were caused by God, the Scriptures show us who God is. They introduce us to the God of hope. They don't give us a roadmap or what to expect of the future. So when we're talking about hope in the scriptures, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about knowing exactly what to expect out of our future. If that were the case, the Bible would be a lot more popular. The scriptures don't give us a roadmap. They don't tell us what will happen. What they do is tell us who is in charge of what will happen. They tell us that God is the God of hope, that he's unmatched in his goodness, in his faithfulness, in his mercy, in his truthfulness, in his wisdom, and in his power to bring about his good purpose on earth. They assure us of the kind of God that we hope in. And in that way, our hope, that, that problem that we discussed earlier of hoping in things that seem to fall apart again and again and having to, to uh, float, to swim, to tread water from one hope to the next to the next as all of them fail. In that way, God is a very different kind of hope. He's a lasting hope. A hope that we don't control, that isn't uh, in our charge, that we can't manage, but that nevertheless is a surer and more certain hope than any hope that we have on earth. The scriptures show that God to us. Secondly, we hear that God caused the scriptures to be written for what? For our learning. To learn. Now, when we read the word learning, what we usually have in mind is, is cognitive development. So, so getting ideas, transfer of information. That's what we think of when we think of learning. You know, I'm thinking of um, memorizing times tables or that sort of thing. That's what we think of when we think of learning. That's not what we mean here. The word learning here doesn't just mean the acquiring of knowledge, but it means instruction. It means formation. It means development. It's, it's, it's like the word apprenticeship or the word discipling. That's the kind of learning we're talking about. Training in righteousness, as Paul puts it, uh, when he speaks of the scriptures. That's the kind of learning we're talking about. Righteousness, of course, is a matter of a, uh, not just acquiring knowledge, but acquiring virtues, habits, ways of life. Acquiring virtues like humility and peace, endurance, patience, wisdom, compassion. And at the center of all of those virtues are three gifts which only God gives by his Holy Spirit. Faith, hope, and love. 
Hope is one of those three. One of those key essential virtues which God gives to us by the Holy Spirit. In other words, as we read the scriptures, as we read examples of hopeless people learning to hope, we have instruction in how we ourselves can learn to hope in God. We see examples of hopeless people over and over again when things seem bleak, when darkness seems to be at its thickest point. Over and over again, we find that God brings hope. That he steps in. That he saves. That he delivers. That he rescues. Through the stories of saintly sinners like you and me, we find over and over again that the scriptures teach us what it means to endure and to hope. So the scriptures were written for learning. God caused the scriptures to be written for learning. We also hear that God caused the scriptures to be written for who's learning. My, my dad would always say, don't look at the ceiling when the answer's on the page. <laughs> who's learning? Our learning. Now, I, that's striking to me. That's amazing to me that the, the scriptures would be written for our learning. There's a moment in 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul is telling the church of Corinth that the apostles should be taken care of by the church, that they should be compensated by the church for their ministry, even though he himself foregoes the right of compensation. And in the, con- in, in the, the uh, course of that conversation, he goes on to quote a verse from Deuteronomy. It is written in the law of Moses, he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Don't muzzle an ox while it's working. That's kind of an obscure law. But Paul says very confidently, and I'm quoting here, he he goes on to ask the rhetorical question. He says, "Was was this written because God cares that much about oxen? He says, no. I mean, not that God doesn't care about oxen, but no, that wasn't written for them. It was written, Paul says, and I'm quoting here, it was written for our sake. That fact alone should be comforting to us. That Paul sees these obscure words written over a thousand years ago, uh, before uh, Paul ever came onto the scene, before Paul was ever born, um, before Christ had even entered into the world. These words were written and Paul looks to them and says, when they were written, whatever their intended purpose in the time that they were written, God so superintended the writing of Scripture that he also intended that word for us. That there is something for us in that word too. That should be comforting to us. That thousands of years ago, as God was superintending the writing of scripture, he had not only the Israelites in mind, not only the people in exile in Babylon, or in in, uh, Assyria, or in uh, Greece, or in Rome, not only the early church, not only the apostles, he had you in mind. He had me in mind. He had us in mind. St. Mark's Moultrie, 2019. Thousands of years later. I think we need to hear that because as we come to realize that the scriptures were written for us, we can come to gain encouragement from them. It's awfully hard to be encouraged and hopeful from reading a book of pure history. But when we begin to realize that God wrote these words so that we might come to know him today, 
now in our lives, we can begin to read those as personal words, as words that speak to our hearts, to our conditions. God is not unaware, in other words, of our circumstances, of our discouragements, of our temptations to despair. In fact, he was aware that this time would come up long before we ever were. He's already stored up provisions for us during this time, and the place that he's stored up those provisions to strengthen us, to encourage us, to bring us hope, is in his word. Finally, Cramer says that all holy scriptures were written for our learning. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a little bit easier for me to say God caused the Holy Scriptures to be written. He caused them to be written for learning. He caused them to be written for our learning. It's a little bit easier for me to say all that than to say that God caused all Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. And the reason is precisely that Ox verse that we just read. We have a tendency to simply ignore certain passages of Scriptures if they don't seem helpful to us at the moment. And that's why Leviticus is the bane of every read through the Bible in the year plan. We slow down when we get to that point. It just doesn't seem relevant. It's confusing. It's strange. And there are parts of the Old Testament uh, and the New, for that matter, that are just downright offensive. They just bother us. They offend our sensibilities. And we have a tendency to ignore those passages, um, even, even if it's a subconscious thing. Many of us would respect the Bible too much to say that um, those parts just don't matter. But we do have a tendency to distance ourselves from them. But when Jesus appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke says that he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. So that tells us two things. One, all scripture is about Jesus. Two, all scripture is about Jesus. That's a challenge. That's hard to accept. In some way, Jesus is the answer to every question, every mystery presented to us in the scriptures over and over again. He is hidden behind every word, reveals himself in every image, and offers us signs of himself in every narrative. If only we'll have the patience and humility to listen for him. It's a little bit like the way we speak of Christ's presence being hidden in the sacrament. It appears to be bread, tastes like bread, appears to be wine, tastes like wine, looks like wine, smells like wine. And yet we believe that Christ is really present to us in that. It's the same way in the scriptures. Many different ways of of encountering the mystery of the scriptures. And yet over and over again, we believe that Christ is present to us in them. And of course, at this point, it's impossible for us to talk about hope without talking about Christ himself. Paul calls Christ the hope of glory. The hope of glory. His incarnation, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. In short, the whole gospel of Christ, the whole story of his life. That is the content of our hope. Not what will happen to us in this life. What fortunes will befall us. How we'll prosper. How we'll succeed. But what God has already done in Christ in bringing him through death to the resurrection and what God promises to do in us. That's what we expect. That's our hope. Christ, in other words, is our proof that God holds the power of life and death, that God can save those who are beyond the power of every earthly remedy, that God is greater than that addiction that enslaves us, that loneliness 
that paralyzes us and that anxiety that threatens us day after day. To all of us who hunger today for the hope that Christ brings, God has spoken to us in this moment. And the message is this. It's not over. It's not too late. We have something to look forward to in Christ. Through the scriptures, we meet Christ. And in Christ, we begin to learn to experience that abundant hope. We taste from that source of endless hope, which is based not on what I can make my future, not on what you can make your future, but what God can make of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.